Bible teacher. And we're going to be just doing all kinds of great stuff today. We are in the middle of a sermon series on work. And you might think, well, what does the Bible have to do with work? Shouldn't we separate our work life from our spiritual lives? But the truth is, how did God start out in Genesis 1? He started out with six days of work. And then he took a day off to sanctify the work. And then after that, he put us in charge of gardening, to till it, to, to take care of the earth, and to gardening is a very spiritual thing in the broadest sense of the idea of gardening. So we're talking about God at work and the trustees of the church. We chose this last year. We get together and do prophetic prayer, and we ask the Lord, what do you want us to teach on next year? And he gave us this for this season, and it's, we had no idea how disrupted people's work would be. Everyone in this room has had your work disrupted, if, if not dramatically, at least indirectly. I was just talking with Woody beforehand and the supply chains of his uh, air freshener company, you can imagine, are backed up to who knows where. And it's just happened to all of us. A lot of you have lost your jobs. A lot of you have had your jobs trans transformed. Just talking about Eric and Suzanne, and he's going to be home until next May sometime. Working from home where you used to work in a, in a workplace. And so work has been disrupted, and it's a great time to look at what God says about our work. And we talked last week about God's definition of work, and that is everything that fulfills the, lo the love commandment. And the love commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And that doesn't have to be paid. I think our culture has gotten obsessed with paid work. And paid work is great. Getting paid for work is awesome. It's a wonderful blessing. But a lot of work is unpaid, and it's just as important. One of the questions I hate, and I get it every few weeks, if not more often, when people meet me, does your wife work? And I think, well, yeah, she works a lot. Uh, she, she does some work that is paid. We have an Airbnb in our house. And she does some work that is unpaid. And she is a very organized person without which I could not get through life because I am less than organized. But work is anything we do to move the kingdom forward to help the world go around. And in God's mind, there is no difference between the sacred and the secular. Monday through Friday is his just like Sunday. It's not like we do spiritual stuff on Sunday and everything else we do. If you have, I know we're not playing much football this fall. And that kind of bums me out. But in football terms, what we're doing here is the huddle. The game is out there. What we do out there. I know some of you have done a lot of work in workplace evangelism, workplace ministry. Stan Katawaki, our vice president of the church, is really passionate about that. And we need to look at this disruption as an opportunity. Let's say that together. We need to look at, need to look at this, disruption this disruption as an opportunity to examine our work. So let's do that. Let's look at this as an opportunity to examine what it is we do and the whole, the whole thing, not just a little bit. Martin Luther said 500 years ago that God doesn't need our good works. He just needs our faith. But your neighbor does need our good works. Our neighbor depends on us doing things, supplying things, goods and services for our neighbor, uh, helping our neighbor out, as Bill, you were saying in the prayer meeting, a kind word at the right time can change the course of someone's life. Who here has had a kind word change the direction of your life for, for a season? When somebody just came to you at the right time in the right place and said something which 
gave you the encouragement you needed to move on and get some stuff done. And so that's work too. So everything we do during the week is work in God's sense. So today we're going to come across two lies in our culture. North American culture, Western European culture, most of Asia now, developed Asia. There's two lies out there. And here they are. If your work is to be really important and to really make a difference, it has to be one of two things. Number one, it should be nonprofit, charity, or spiritual. In other words, you need to be feeding the hungry or doing something <laughs> virtuous, something really, really virtuous. Or number two, something big, flashy, or bold. Uh, you have to be Elon Musk going to Mars and building Teslas in your free time, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, it's Our culture tells us that we've made it, we've made our mark if we're doing something really great in the nonprofit realm. We're, we're stopping smallpox in some African country or we're doing we're doing something like that or we're or we're doing something big and flashy and what does that leave out most of our work and a lot of us go through life wondering why we haven't made a mark because we haven't fulfilled one of these two things we don't we've never been to the olympics there's no wikipedia article on us and and we, we've never really done that big thing but that big thing is not that important to god some people get called to do big things. Most of us get called to do very ordinary things. And those ordinary, even Jesus, Jesus did his ministry for three years, and we've only got like two or three quotes from people outside of the church that even mention Jesus. A few historians, Josephus and a few others, just he didn't make a big splash in the culture at the time. And he was doing a lot of his work, and he, what would he tell people when he did a flashy thing? Don't go tell people. You know, he said that almost all the time whenever there was a big flashy miracle because he didn't want to go for the celebrity. He was there to get his work done. He wasn't there to make a gigantic, uh, make it to the top fame, flashy thing. We can do great things in lots of ways. So here's our main Bible passage for today. Colossians 3, 23 through 24. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. And I love the King James Version. Everything you do, do as unto the Lord. Everything you do. Now, Wendy, my wife over here, said, as we're setting up today, and you, thanks to you folks who set up, came early. I mean, we were moving TVs around. We were doing all kinds of stuff, setting things up. Thankless job. Nobody gets paid for it. We're out here doing stuff, getting things set up. And Wendy had a great insight. What if Jesus were showing up today? Would we, do, would we go that little extra step? Would you ever rush through a job if you were doing it for the Lord? You'd take your time and do it? Right. Remember, I used to work in maintenance at a at a uh, apartment complex. And Lenny, who was my boss, said, if you don't want to do it right, you gotta you got to figure out the time to, to go back and redo it. So you may as well take your time and do it right the first time. Take your time. Do things right. If God gives us certain things and we, we maintain them in our homes, it's up to us to make sure that nothing is missing and nothing is broken and to work on those things. And nobody pays us for that. And guess what? That's work. And it's really important work. And the work that women as volunteers used to do a generation ago was valued in our culture. Now it's not as valued as it was, which is really unfortunate because it's some of the most important work that happens. And as I said, paid work is awesome. It's a great blessing, but it's not always more important than unpaid work. 
Everything we do, do as unto the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. So thinking of everything we do as doing it unto the Lord, we're going to slow down, we're going to do it right, we're going to take our time, and we're going to see menial things as just as important as other things. I noticed on Wendy's Mazda out there, the antenna on the back is bent. Now, I could just leave it that way for weeks, or I could go out there and straighten it out. And I think that if God gives us a car, we should we should take care of it. And I want to straighten out the antenna. I think it looks stupid that way. So I'm going to, sometime today, I'm going to figure out a way to straighten out the antenna. And that that pleases the Lord, because we're taking good care of the things that we have. Who thinks it's possible for Americans to have too much stuff to take care of? And we never stay on top of it. There's an expert that I interviewed on my radio show from Long, uh, Long Island, New York, and she goes around to houses in the Hamptons, which is really fancy houses. And she signs a contract that she has a right to get rid of 40% of their stuff while they're gone. And she comes in, gets rid of 40% of their stuff, and organizes the rest. And guess what? They do better. And she says most Americans would do better with 40% less stuff. They would, uh, they would be able to live better lives with less stuff around. And we keep all this stuff. Oh, my goodness. I do the same thing. I somehow think I need three or four skill saws. But really, one is plenty. It's uh, plenty. The myth of fame. And this gets perpetuated by having our kids watch Disney movies 600 times in a row where everyone becomes a princess. And everyone has that big splashy thing that happens. Everybody has that. And there's nothing wrong with a little fantasy. But if we brainwash our kids that really it's the gold medal in life that makes the difference. It's the becoming the princess. It's the, it's the making the big flashy, splashy thing that makes the difference. That's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us if we're faithful in little things, God will put us in charge of some bigger things. And some of those bigger things might be thankless. There's a lot of, wow, I heard myself echoing in the back there, John. And, and so, so basically what we're looking at here is, is a myth in America that needs to be deconstructed. We need to tell our kids it's not about who thinks our schools are a wee bit too competitive when it comes to certain things. They can drive our kids crazy, and a third of our kids are on meds now because of the pressure to excel. Everybody has to excel. Well, we're going to look at that in a second. I got caught up in it. I read a book called Good to Great, and I kept thinking, how are we going to how are we going to make something good just great? How are we going to, you know, make something just that everybody will notice? And I'm thinking, what a mistake that was. Sometimes good is really good. Sometimes we need to do good things, and sometimes God calls us to bigger, bigger, high-profile things, and that's great. But I know some of you folks do a lot of big things, and you're not famous, and that's okay. Woody makes more clocks than anyone in America. But he can walk into Bellaterra and nobody notices it's Woody. It's it's thankless, you know. It's that's the way it works. And, and Robert back there is in charge of the whole Pacific Life building. But he can walk into a movie theater and nobody goes, "Oh, there's Robert." They, 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 they don't get all excited about that because we're just regular people doing stuff that's fairly thankless. And instead of wishing we were one of those people, folks, you don't want to be famous. It makes you weird. You ever notice how weird famous people are? I was pastor at a gigantic church in Minnesota. I was the associate pastor. I had Tamara's job, which is a really good job, by the way, for a lot of, a lot of reasons. Huge church. And I had like one two hundredth of what celebrities have. 
but it made me a little bit weird. You end up thinking yourself as like a public figure and it's very strange. And I had to, I had to leave. I just, I was getting, and multiply that by 200 and that's like real celebrities. No wonder they're weird. I mean, how Michael Jackson didn't have a chance of being normal growing up famous from day one. I, I can't imagine how that could be. Who thinks Phil enjoys music, whether or not he becomes famous doing it. Phil would play, give him a chance to play. You're going to play. It's you love music for itself and you do great at all these instruments. This is what God calls us to do and to take joy in those things. And I love being in a church where I can point you guys out. And I know, please hear me. Those of you thinking about coming to church, I may, I'll be nice. I'll let you go a couple months without pointing you out. So I'm not going to do that right away. Everybody strives for excellence and we brainwash our kids that they need to be excellent. The Bible never says to, to, to excel. To excel is a comparative word, isn't it? Better than someone else. Why not just be outstanding? No, outstanding is another word like that, isn't it? Normal. How about just being really virtuous in what we do, whether or not it's better than what other people do? Who here has gotten depressed with comparative thinking? We get, we get depressed with that because in California, there's always someone better, richer, you know, cooler car, everything. It's, it's so fun to drive up to intersections and people drive up with like a Lamborghini and I drive up in my bus and people notice the bus rather than the Lamborghini. It's kind of cool. But, uh, but, but still, but still it's, and I feel bad for the Lamborghini guy who spent all this money and people are looking at the bus. Look at the, look at the definition of excellence. The fact or state of excelling, superiority, being better than other people. And that's the American myth, to be better than other people, rather than just being really good at what God calls you to do. And faithful, faithful and virtuous in what you're doing. And, and taking satisfaction in that. Everybody says to, everybody's telling kids in grade school, they all have to go to college. And some people should go to college. Some people really should. Some people would be wasting their time if they didn't. But I went to the university in Germany for grad school, and I found out something. They only let 15% of the students from high school into the university. Why? Because they send the rest to trade school. And you know how many people live in Germany? 80 million, as opposed to 32 million here, which is what? One-fourth. Germany exports more manufacturing goods than we do, with one-fourth the population. And they have a balance of trade, which is positive and not negative. Why? Because they put 85% of people into trades and they're good at it. You put a German into trades and you've got some real craftsmanship going on. And they build stuff and they make stuff and they don't have a rust belt. Think about it. We tell everybody, everybody's got to go to college. Who thinks there's people in college that shouldn't be in college that are really good at other stuff? I'm not sure I should have gone to college. I'd really rather just work with tools. And I could have done some big stuff with that. Who knows? Mega churches. Oh, there is so much pressure to uh, in the ministry world. You know what people say to you sometimes at pastor gatherings? What are your ABCs? Which is kind of, I'm kind of cynical about it. ABCs, attendance, building, cash. And there's this comparative thing of who's got the biggest attendance building cash. If you don't have a building program going, there's something wrong with you. And you've got to, you've got to, you've got to get this bigger, bigger, bigger thing. And right now the mega churches who live on a, on a large gathering thing are going to be the last to open. They're going to be the last to open. 
because the, it doesn't fit the business model right now. It doesn't fit the business model. And small and quick is a little more helpful. But boy, I, I tell you, there's times where I thought, boy, if I was really making a mark, we, should need, we need to do something really, really big. And it leads to midlife crises. I don't know who this guy is, but he's the perfect midlife crisis uh, icon with his gold chains, you know, and the, and the whole thing. My dad got an RX-7 for his mid, midlife crisis. And uh, I said, Dad, getting an RX-7 at your point in your age? He says, cheaper than a girlfriend, which I thought was a good line. But, uh, <laughs> but And I was so mad at my dad because he sold it rather than giving it to one of us kids. Uh, oh, I, I forgive you. Dad, for that, but uh, would uh, man to open up an RX-7 and go 130 miles an hour is just so cool. But uh, but I think a lot of people have midlife crises because they think I haven't made my mark, I haven't done my thing. I I I need to, you know, the depression that kicks in. I can't speak for women, but I know a lot of men go through this. I wasn't real fun to be around when I was 50, because you're going through this whole kind of shift and stuff. And now I'm kind of happy being my age. I'm I'm learning to be at peace with what I'm doing. And to, to be content with the work of your hands and what you're doing is really key. Who thinks America needs this message? Needs, this is the biblical message on this stuff. So my question to you is, what scorecard are you using? If you were to judge your life with grade letters, what scorecard are you using? Is it the big, flashy, and bold scorecard? It is the change the world through a nonprofit scorecard? Is it the, what is it? Or is it just being really good at who you are and what God made you to be and contributing that to the world? Can you imagine if we taught that to our kids? You know, we take, we take spirituality out of our public schools and we wonder why our kids are all on meds. It's, they, they don't know that they're made by God. They don't know that they're there for a purpose. They don't know that doing things unto the Lord is really all God asks of us. We've got some really gifted people here. Joan has the greenest thumb of anyone I've ever seen. It, it, Linda, Kim's mom, is the same way. That's a real gifting. Is anyone going to make her famous for doing all the garden work back here? No. Who thinks it's beautiful when you, when you see the stuff she's done? She looks at plants and they get happy. You know, <laughs> That's not the case with some of us. But it is a real gifting. Craig back here is, is a walking party. Uh, it just is. And he brings, he's a joy starter. He is a joy starter. And who thinks that's important? People walk into a room, they're a joy starter. Craig will raise the level of fun of any group he walks into. And that is a blessing. My friend Dana in, 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 the, in, the, in the Valley is the same way. He's a joy starter. And a lot of people think, you're a pastor, you shouldn't be so fun. you know. And uh, he's fun anyways. But anyways, moving on. Sometimes, also, Bill talked about this at our prayer meeting. Sometimes what we do really is earth-shaking, but we don't know it. You don't know till later that something you did four years ago changed the course of the world. You just don't know. In front of you, there is the Via Sacra. My, my, my son and I walked down the Via Sacra. This is the main street in the Forum of Ancient Rome. And my son, who was 17, said, Dad! Everything's broken here. I said, well, th these are ancient ruins. It's history. He says, well, that's stupid. They should fix it. And he's got a point. Uh, it's just all these broken buildings all over the place, you know, and you, you walk down the Via Sacra. And the Via Sacra was the most important street in the world. It was the center of the world in the first century. 
It was the biggest city in the world. All leads, all roads lead to Rome. I mean, this is this is this was downtown Rome. This was Times Square. This was the center of everything. A million people lived in Rome, and uh, biggest empire the world had ever seen. And the two people that walked that street that became the most influential, nobody noticed when they were walking on that street. One of them, his name was Paul. Paul was walking on that street, and he didn't get any more attention than Robert would if he walked through Belaterra. Just think, Paul was walking down that street, and nobody noticed. Go to any history department in any state university, I'm not talking Christian university, and the apostle Paul will be on the top five of most influential people ever to walk the earth. Because he took a small Jewish sect called Christianity made it a global faith system. That's gigantic. That has affected the world like almost nothing else. Another monk in 1511 walked on that street. He got sent on an errand. Nobody noticed him. Just another monk. And he's from out of town, too, with a weird German accent. Martin Luther. Nobody knew he was there. Martin Luther created the modern world as we know it by dismantling the medieval economic system and changing everything. Public education, all that stuff is unthinkable without Luther. Democracy is unthinkable. I mean, all the different things he, he got in motion with the Reformation, he's in the top five too. And nobody noticed either one of them. So you might be walking somewhere doing something really important that really does change the world, and you may never know. So do everything well, just in case, because you never know when, when it could be just a really important thing. You don't know, Nancy, in one of your judgments from the bench, if it's going to change the course of someone's life, and that will lead to another thing. You just don't know. So we need to look at things as if we're doing everything for the Lord, and everything is in its own way vitally important. Everything we do affects us. Sociologists tell us, that we are affected by everything we do after seven interactions. In other words, if you interact with somebody, they're going to interact with a certain amount of people. And within seven interactions from what you do, any act, anytime you do something that affects another person, within seven degrees of separation, it will come back and affect you from behind. It goes over the whole world in seven different steps. So you're actually changing the weather system of the whole world every time you make a, a decision, which is why it's so important to take to be really careful with what we do. You ever see those science fiction movies where people go way back in the past and they step on a leaf and kill something and they come back and the whole world's different? Everything we do affects everything else. And it's we need to, to understand that everything, everything we do has consequences. And those consequences will start to affect us after seven interactions by coming around through who knows where, Brazil. So think about that. Everything we do, do it as unto the Lord. John back there is an accountant. And when he was our treasurer, he frustrated us a lot because he didn't believe in shortcuts. He believed in doing things right and doing it the way it's supposed to be done. And you know what? We were blessed by that. But is it easy to do? John, have you ever been tempted to do shortcuts and think it would just be so much easier or are you just so? Okay. <laughs> we, don't, we don't say that word on the internet, but still. That's, uh... <laughs> but doing things right. Doing things right is so important. And as I said, Martin Luther, 
medieval Europe, we talked about this last week, in medieval Europe, you were in one of the vocations if you took a vow of poverty, chastity, and obedience. You were the monk, a nun, or a priest. And other people didn't have vocations. They just had cruddy Monty Python mud work, you know, where they're just sitting there working, the peasants out there doing all their stuff. Unless you were one of those people. And in some churches, they still call those the vocations. We need to call people into the vocations, which I guess you need to do. But Martin Luther said no. And his famous quote is, if you're cleaning the toilet to God's glory and to help your neighbor, it's just as important as whatever the bishop does. And that freaked people out at the time. It started, it started a revolution. Because everybody's work is important. Everything you do is important. And if you do little jobs well, guess what? You get promoted. Woody, if you had to a choice between different people to promote at your company, and you saw someone showing up on time in a menial job, but showing up, being faithful, getting stuff done, are you more or less likely to promote that person? Very likely. <laughs> That's really true. I, I don't want, this job isn't worth it. I'm not going to show up on time. Who knows where that could lead? Who knows where that could lead? And so we have to think of our vocation, and vocation is the Latin word for calling, God calls us into our daily work. I have uh, the richest person I know is in Wisconsin, and his name is Bob Kern, and he runs a, uh, he sold his company for $700 million, and he runs a charity. And he made gas generators. He made more gas generators than anyone on the face of the earth. They're sold under lots of different names. They come from Wisconsin, the Generac company. And he's been a churchman his whole life, and he gets frustrated. He's 94 now, still very active. He's frustrated because he's worked on church councils and everything else as a layperson. And he says, pastors either see me like suspicious, like I've, I've exploited my workers and I got so rich. Or they see me as just a source for money. They see me as a source for offering money. They don't see my work as important. And I give 40,000 people in Wisconsin a great living wage. And I create generators to generate electricity in places that don't have it. That's my work for the Lord. But not one pastor has recognized that. They just see me as a, as a target for a check. Or they look at me sideways like, so how did you get so rich? You must have messed with your workers. And he's putting all of this work, he's putting all of his money back into lots of charity work. So do you see where he'd get frustrated? It's not, just, it's not just people doing menial work that get frustrated. It's people making millions, hundreds of millions that get frustrated. Because the church has not recognized our work as something important. And we need to do that. Luke 4. Jesus went up and down in the polls. We're all hearing about the polls right now. Who trusts the polls? I don't trust the polls. They're all over the place. We're, we're in this political season and nobody's polls went up and down more than Jesus. Look at this quote. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked, Luke 4.22. And then in Mark 15.12, they shouted, crucify him. Jesus was not an earthly success. Getting executed after three years of work is not an earthly success. It's just not. And yet we hold him up as the epitome of someone who did the work of the Father. He says, whatever I hear the Father doing, I do. That's his work. 
And it was beautiful, and it still continues to enlighten and change lives to this day. But by the world's standard, it was a failure. And he didn't even make the front page of the Jerusalem paper the next day. It's like two or three historians in, like I said, even mention him. Just in passing. It was not an earthly success, but look how he's changed the world. We have to think of our work as not shooting for earthly success, but for doing a great job. Ecclesiastes 1, 16 and 17. This is Kohelet, who is associated, probably Solomon. I communed with my heart, saying, Lord, I have, attended, I have attained greatness. He became exceptional and have gained more wisdom than all who were before me in Jerusalem. My heart has understood great wisdom and knowledge. And I set my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive this is also grasping for the wind and vanity. Even make a lot of people who make it, are they any happier than the people who don't? There's often just a, a real remorse after achieving this, this big famous thing. Now, I'm not saying don't achieve things. Achieve things as the Lord leads us to achieve them. That's great. Go after big things if the Lord asks you to go after a big thing. But who thinks just getting that big thing is going to make a big difference? It's not. I've gone after some things and gotten them, and there you are. Wendy's got a great phrase, wherever you go, there you are. You don't really change that much. You're just the same person as you were before you achieved this thing. I still have a, a silly a silly a little trophy in my office from the Burnsville Relays from 1979 because we set a school record in a two-mile relay. Nobody cares. It's not a big a high school two-mile relay. But that's probably in my little in my little gut, that's my big success, you know. And it's it's I worked for th four years in track to try to get a, a this this school record. And once I got it, there I still was. And I got my name up on the wall where they had the, the school records, and then they closed the school two years later. It's not that important. It's really not. It's it, it barely made the local paper. Kind of, you know. So why put all that work into those practicalities? Today, um, I'm going to invite uh, Pastor Tamara through communion to invite us to be delivered from the idol of fame, status, and the Disney myth. Who thinks we could use some deliverance from that in this culture? We, we really could. And get content with what we're doing and learn to find joy in our work, whether or not it's exciting. Number two, stop comparing yourself with others. This is just a killer, emotionally and spiritually. Stop comparing yourself with others. The Lord will not hide your calling from you. In other words, if you don't know what God asks you to do, ask him. God has more talk than we have listened. People who are not hearing their calling from God are not, God is not saying, oh, I'll just I'll make you squirm for 30 years and maybe you'll figure it out. No, God wants us to know what he wants us to do. And if you're not hearing it, you're not listening. Pull the spiritual wax out of your ears and listen a little bit more during the prayer time. And yeah, he's going to tell you what he wants you to do. And sometimes we don't listen because we don't want to hear what he wants us to do. 
And this calling is dynamic. Just because he called you to do something four years ago doesn't mean it's the same thing now. Was it Bill? Was it you who said uh, in our prayer meeting this morning? Sometimes our job ends. No, it was Wendy. Sometimes our job ends. And in Holland, you get to wait until a job in your field opens up. You get unemployment until a job in your field opens up. They call it passende Arbeit. Instead of going into something else. And God might call us into something else. Just because he called you into one thing in 2010 doesn't mean that's what he's calling you to in 2020. Who thinks God can change what he wants you to do over a period of time? Absolutely. Absolutely. The calling is dynamic, not static. Keep pressing into it through prayer because it can change. Just because God told you to do something five years ago, it may not be his orders now. Stop regretting past mistakes. Everyone in this room has made vocational mistakes. We've taken the wrong jobs, done the wrong things at work. Things haven't worked out. Things have failed, except for you younger people. But you will. <laughs> I, I hate to tell you that, but uh, you will have things to regret. This, oh, I'm going to die with no regrets. Good luck. Good luck with that. We make mistakes. Stay in the present. Don't define yourself by the failures you've had. The average American gets fired in a major way twice. But who talks about it? Nobody. I got fired twice. Well, the one time I, I knew I was going to get fired, so I quit really quick. It's kind of like breaking up with a junior high girlfriend before she breaks up with you because you're here. You know, <laughs> she's, she's going to do that. So I've been fired twice too. So it, it happens. Stop regretting fast, past mistakes. Stay in the present. Don't label yourself. Let God give you your label. Don't pigeonhole yourself as, I'm just going to do this. I'm just a this. Well, maybe not. Maybe God would call you to do something different. Maybe a door will close and another door will open. Those are the practicalities. The Alpha Course. I would like to invite everybody to take the Alpha Course. We're doing it with our partner church, Charity Lutheran in Bismarck, North Dakota. I watched their service this morning. They are really cool. I would love to go to their church. Wouldn't want to live in Bismarck. But uh, I, I, love, I love those people. They're just great people. And uh, we do the Alpha Course together with them online on Wednesday nights. It starts, and Tom's in the course right now. And uh, it starts on October 7th. And one of the main teachings is how does God guide us? And I really would invite you to take the course just for that lesson. So we can learn how to listen for what God would have us do. All I need is your name and your email address. And you can send it to the email address that's on the screen. Next week, I'm going to invite Tamara up here. Next week, we're going to talk about the American myth that work is about self-fulfillment. Because it's not. It's about serving others. The Bible is very clear on that. And we're going to talk about how true satisfaction comes through serving others, our, our customers, our family, the community, Pastor Tamers often said, and this is true, I've looked it up, people are 40% happier if they volunteer for their community. There is something to that, just doing things for people. I've got a passage here, Psalm 90, verse 17. May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. One of my favorite churches in the world, Holy Trinity in Brompton in London, HTB. Dot org. Uh, the church that started the Alpha Course, Spirit-filled Anglican Church, 
uh, amazing place. It's a beehive of 26-year-olds, kind of like Bethel is here up in Reading. Uh, just fascinating place. I, I've, I've been there lots of times. I used to be on the board for Alpha and love that place. And on top of the pulpit, this pulpit was built like 1880. It's old concrete, old church in a neighborhood. And it says across the top, establish the work of our hands. And at the time in Kensington, these people were out building railroads in India and doing all kinds of stuff all around the world. And this was a major, um, London was the center of so much activity. And to have that be the main verse across the top, it's still there, establish the work of our hands. Just a beautiful thing. I'm going to close with my coach. This is my college football coach. And lest you think that college football is glamorous, it is for the stuff that, uh, that um, Pastor Kim looks at with Notre Dame. That's glamorous. That's cool stuff. But I was in Division Three, And Division Three, I've said to you many times, is get your own ride to the game and wash your own uniform. It's not very exciting. Uh, it's less than exciting. There's just grandparents and girlfriends in the stands, maybe 120 people at a big game. And uh, it's not a big thing. And this is Frosty Westering. Frosty Westering, and you can look him up on college coaches, college football coaches. He's in the very top group of wins. Very top. I mean, he's up there with the, you know, the Bear Bryants and the Woody Hayes and all those guys. He's up there with them. And uh, he's had lots of opportunities to coach Division One, do all kinds of things, even the pros, because he's so good at it. And he had a, a team with no talent. He would say to us, you guys are small, but you're slow. You know, it, uh, we, they, everybody outweighed us. Everybody was bigger than us. And, you know, really, on paper, we were nothing. We always went nine and two, ten and one. And he always said, never forget it. Don't strive after fame. Make the big time where you are. Do good stuff where you're put where God puts you. Super, super stuff. So that's our message for today. Next week, we're going to talk about, ironically, if we try to get our own self-satisfaction out of work, we don't get it. But if we serve others, it often comes back to us. And that's a beautiful biblical secret. So over to you. Thanks, House. I think I'm going to hold this for a second. Yesterday I was on a business call, a Zoom call. And um, so interesting how we talked almost about the ex exact same thing. And what we talked about is how God created each one of us for a specific purpose um, at a specific time. And those things can continue to change. I've had, I'm, t I'm counting, four very different career paths. I started in accounting, which was a random thing to do because I just started as a file clerk and they kept training me and the next thing I knew I was doing accounting. Did that for a long time and then quit realizing I hated it. I was stressed by it and I didn't like it. And it was hard because at 23, 24, I was making really good money. But I left it because I hated it. Um, I then went into the medical field, random. 
I started working for a chiropractor and then I went to school and I did some stuff and I worked for many years, like 16, 17 years in the medical field and then got laid off from that position and then went to working in the Red Cross doing a lot of different things there. But my last, the majority of it was doing referral marketing, not in my wheelhouse. And if anyone knows me, I hate talking to strangers. And that's what I did every single day. And I loved it. Um, And then I got laid off from that. And then I became a pastor and I work in an office doing whatever they need me to do. Well, now I'm furloughed from that. So I'm not doing that right now, but I do whatever I need to do. So God continued to move me through all these different things. Um, And I learned so much from each thing. And the problem that I've had in between some of these things is my own self being blocked and being um, held down by my own beliefs of not being able to do jobs because I didn't have training. I didn't have the schooling. Um, I didn't go Well, I went to school for the medical stuff, but for anything else, I got trained on the job. I did not go. I went to, I started doing accounting. They told me I should go to school and I thought, well, I could take some accounting classes. Hated it. That's when I started realizing, do I really want to do this every single day of my life? And the answer was no. Um, and so I've been trained by different things that God has called me to for each position in my life. Um, my medical field experience prepared me to help my parents. Because I'm going to tell you, if I hadn't had that medical field experience, my mom would have been dead 20 years ago because of a medical mistake a doctor made. But I caught it because I had already worked with patients that were on blood thinners. And part of our practice was working with people that had had blood clots and working with, so I knew what testing needed to be done. I knew the numbers. And when the doctor started telling my mom certain things, I knew it was wrong. And I called him on it. And by the end of it, he goes, do whatever you want. When do you want labs done? I said, tomorrow. Okay. And I got my way. (laughs) But because I knew. And God prepared me for that. And it then prepared me to help my dad when he got diagnosed with congestive heart failure, which I diagnosed before the doctors did. Because I knew I'd already worked with patients like that. And so when I went into his cardiologist, I said, this is what he has. No, he doesn't. Yes, it is. He's got all the signs. He's got the symptoms. Well, the blood tests don't show it. I don't care. That's what he has. But he didn't listen to me. And three weeks later, I was proved right. And I'm not saying it's because I'm right. It's because God prepared me each step of the way. The Red Cross stuff um, prepared me to speak in front of you as a pastor because I had to speak in front of people all the time, which I was so stinking scared to do. And so my own mindsets in those times, like when I first was going to get Red Cross, House knows this because I talked to him about it, I was scared to take the position because it was so out of my wheelhouse. I didn't think I deserved it. I don't think I could do it because I'd never done it. But when I totally let go and got rid of those things that were 
binding me up and trusted the Lord, he showed me. I, I remember sitting. I can tell you where I was. I remember the colors in the house in my condo. I was sitting on my couch, and I was reading the Bible, and I said, Lord, I just need you to tell me what to do. And I said, I don't know what to do. Lord, I'm afraid to do these things. And so I sat, I remember I sat back and I closed my eyes. And you know, like in the movies, especially like the Star Wars movies where the words kind of come on the black screen, that's what started happening. But they were Bible verses. And so the first one, I'm like, okay. And then another one came, another one came. And I just felt such peace. And I started looking them up. Do not be afraid, for I'm with you. I have called you for a purpose. And it was all affirmations that God gave me, saying, don't worry about it. I gotcha. I'm not going to call you into something that um, I'm going to let you just flounder and fail. I'm going to call you, and I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to walk through it. And so I was very successful during those times. Um, the times I wasn't successful, and I was looking at this picture of don't strive, is when I started striving. So today, I could go on and on and tell you stories because i got a million of them about this whole subject. But today we want to um, release that, those things that bind us from moving forward, from succeeding where God has called us right now. So many of us are working from home. So many of us are just home on furlough like me. Yes, I have this, but this is very little. But I've been called to stay home. And at times, I'm going to tell you, yesterday was a down day. I was frustrated with stuff. I didn't want to be there. I want to go back to work. I want to do things. And then I had my little pity party, and I got over it. By last night, I was doing good, um, again, because I said, okay, Lord, I'm getting into my own head again. This is where I'm getting in trouble. Help me to trust you. Because every th through this whole entire thing, he has proven himself again and again to me by pro providing for me, by giving me breaks, by doing so many things. So what I'd like you to do is to stand up. We are going to pray. But first, um, we need to figure out where we're being blocked. And so in Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24, um, we're going to pray those and then just take a moment to let the Lord look at our hearts and reveal things to us. So pray after me. Father, search me and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. For God, God, just reveal yourself right now. Show us what things are binding us, what things are blocking us to do your work that you have called us to do, to be great in the situations that we are in, to be good, to be doing the work unto you. Reveal yourself to us, Lord.
Father, I now ask that those things that you've revealed to each one of us, Lord, that you take those things and you just smash them. Lord, break the bondage that is keeping us from doing your will in our lives. Lord, we don't need fame. We don't need popularity. We don't need our Disney princess endings, our prince endings. Lord, we need you and to be in your perfect will. Lord, help us to follow that and to be thankful and to be gracious and to be humble right where you have us. Lord, help us to do good work. Help us to help our neighbors, to be kind to those we meet on the street. Lord, help us to be successful where we're at. Help us to thrive where we're at. Help us to have abundance where we're at. Help us to have joy and love right where we're at. Lord, even if we're washing the dishes or scrubbing the floors, Lord, let it be to you that we are doing it. Let us sing songs of praise as we're scrubbing a toilet or washing our cars or cleaning out your garage. Lord, help us to have that joy everlasting because we are doing work that you want us to do. Father, thank you for continuing to clean us and to cleanse us and to keeping us free, to taking our burdens. Lord, you are our light and our joy. Help us to always look to you. In the middle of difficulties, in the middle of confusion or frustration, Lord, help us to look to you. In the middle of our fear, Lord, fear, Lord, in the middle of our anxiousness, our stress, our weariness, help us to look for you. To trust you, to lean into you, because you will provide abundantly for each one of us. And we thank you for that. And Lord, the ultimate provision that you gave us was your son, Jesus, dying on the cross. So if you guys want to grab your communion cups and open those up. Lord, um, on the last night, Jesus was sitting with his disciples and he was leaning back having a supper. And he took the bread and he broke it in half and he said, my friends, my family, this is my body broken for you. I do this because I love you. I do this because I want so much for you. I do this because you were created in my father's image, just as I was. I do this for you so that you would do my father's work just as I have. And he said, eat it in remembrance of me. And then after he had a fabulous dinner, he took his cup of wine and he held it up and he said, my friends and my family, this is this wine. This is my blood that will be poured out for each and every one of you. I do this because I love you. I do this so that you can live in freedom, free from sin, free from regret, free from shame, free from guilt. 
so that you can live in victory, that you can live in joy and love and grace and mercy. I do this so you can live. Live with my Father, live with me for everlasting. Drink this in remembrance of me. Father, thank you for your Son. Thank you for the ultimate sacrifice that you gave, giving up your Son. And Lord, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your ultimate sacrifice to save us by dying on the cross, by being pierced for our sins. Thank you. Now help us to live in love and joy and light, Lord, as we go on working in your calling for each one of us. Amen. Amen. That was kind of a fun communion. So now I have the awkward transition of going into announcements. We're going to have to change this because this is too awkward for me now. Um, Our September prayer focus, we want to continue praying is for our teachers and our students. Um, We pray for um, our governor and our president. Um, We always um, ask that you pray for protection, health, and safety of our pastors. That's Kim House and I. We pray for the worship leaders. We pray for our trustees and that um, God continues to guide and direct us. We're having a meeting on Tuesday, so we need your prayers to to guide and direct us and that we have wisdom as we continue to navigate these times, these times. So please pray for us. Um, We want to um, make sure you're reading the Bible with us. The Bible charts are on the Facebook page and group setting. And then House does a video, so please join us in reading the Bible. Um, We do want to pray for you. I think my slide got... um, is not in here. So we want to pray for you. For those that are here, please um, fill out a connection card. They're on your chairs. And then you can put them in the connection um, box back in the back by the back uh, back door. And for those of you that are online, go to our prayer wall. You can email me, Tamara underscore Dorica at yahoo.com. And I put out prayer requests um, to our prayer team every week, usually Monday night, Tuesday mornings, right in there. So please do that. Um, House mentioned Alpha. That's coming up on October 7th, so contact him. Um, tonight's teacher training will be the history in ba- of baptism and how to baptize. So please join us on that for 4 p.m. You can reach out to House if you do not have that Zoom link. And then uh, next Sunday night, we are having Sunday morning service at 10 a.m. But next Sunday night, we're going to do a fellowship event. We just, we haven't seen you guys in so long. It's so lovely to see faces and to hear you singing today. It was lovely. Um, But we want to get together and just have some fun. We're going to have some games. We're going to have some worship, a short message, prayer time. We just ask, bring your own chair, bring your own folding chair, and then um, bring us a dinner because it's at five o'clock, five from seven. So we'll be able to eat together. We just can't provide food at this time per CDC guidelines. So join us five to 7 p.m. We're going to be right outside in the courtyard. So do that. So hopefully we'll see you. Tithes and offerings. Um, since we are been talking, this verse came to me. It's from Matthew six nineteen through six twenty, and it says, "Do not store up yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up yourselves treasure in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where friends or thieves do not break in and steal." And so, when we tithe, we're storing up our treasures in heaven. 
when we do good works, when we're working for the Lord, he's going to bless us and we store our treasures in heaven. So thank you for storing your treasures in heaven because you guys have been awesome with continuing to bless this church with your tithes and offerings. And so for those of you here, there's envelopes on your um, chair. You can put checks, cash, whatever in there. If there's cash, please make sure you put your first and last name in there because we want to make sure that you get um, credit for it. And then you can put those in the connection card box as well. And for the rest of you, you can go to tinyurl.com slash Malachi310giving. That gives a whole list of what we are, um, how you can donate, PayPal, online, um, sending in a check to 2721 Delaware, all those good things. So please check that out. There's also our patreon.com slash worldwide well page where you can set up another type of donation. Um, you know, if you only want to do $5, $10, perfect. A little, if everybody gave $5 to help, it'd be huge. That's all I can say. So please do that and thank you for your tithes and offerings. That is it. Thank you guys so much for being here. Have a blessed week. And for those of you that are here, it is really good to see half of your face. I love seeing your eyes. I love hearing your laughter. I love having you singing. It is so good to be back to gathering together again. And um, so have a blessed week, everybody. And we will see you next Sunday. Bye. Oh, and those of you that can stay, we could use some help cleaning up. Thanks. <laughs>